Hi, this is Ben Zorns with Ellerslie Mission Society. This message was given at the Church of Ellerslie in lovely Windsor, Colorado. This message is certain to convict, inspire, and invigorate your pursuit of the Lord Jesus Christ. We also want you to know that should you ever have any questions or comments regarding any of the ministries here at Ellerslie, we're always happy to provide answers. Simply contact us at www.ellerslie.com. We really would love to hear from you. Enjoy the message, and may your faith and love in Jesus grow larger as you listen. Expecting. Now, that's a, this is, has multiple meanings to it. And so if you, if you understand what's taking place in Bethlehem, you have a young girl uh, who is expectant. Uh, she's expecting. And, but the deeper layer to this is going to be your soul. And in this message, in a sense, I am likening you to the inn. The inn that had no room. Now, hopefully in our situation, we're not the inn that doesn't have room. And that's, of course, the whole point of what this message is. So I'm not going to give away the thunder of it. We'll just start. Oh, little town of Bethlehem. Sounds like a nice song, doesn't it? Back in Micah 5, there is a prophecy that is given. Every Jew that was awaiting the Messiah who would one day come, this one who would come and bear the sins of the world, this one who would come and suffer, this one who would come and even die, this one who would be be betrayed by a friend, this one who when he is struck the sheep will scatter, this one who not one of his bones will be broken, who will be pierced in his side, his hands and his feet will be pierced, They will cast lots for his garments. This one. This one that is coming. This great rescuer. Emmanuel. God with us. This one will be born in Bethlehem. It was known. The Jews knew where the Messiah would be born. So, but thou, Bethlehem Ephrathah, thou, though thou be little among the thousands of Judah... Yet out of thee shall he come forth unto me that is to be ruler in Israel, whose goings forth have been from of old, from of everlasting. So I'm just going to establish a baseline here. The Messiah is going to come out of Bethlehem. Now you already know that. And that's because he did come out of Bethlehem. And of course we have all these stories about that fact. However, I want you to meditate upon the fact that if you're a good Jew... You know where the Messiah is coming in from. He's coming out of. He's coming to Bethlehem. Now listen to this in Matthew 2. Now when Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king. See? Look at that. He's born in Bethlehem. Now we shouldn't be shocked by this. This is just sort of good old classic understanding. However, did you know that if the Messiah was not born in Bethlehem, he's not the Messiah? If Jesus is not born in Bethlehem, he is not the Messiah. Now when Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, there came wise men from the east to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he that is born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and are come to worship him. Now I'm not going to go into some of the typical things we could explore. How did these wise men even have any indication that a king had been born? Why were they even looking for a star? Those things are extraordinary thoughts that most likely stem from the fact that Daniel became king, or I'm sorry, king, became head of the wise men in Babylon. And as a result, just as Daniel had prophecies uh, that we still read that still haven't even been fulfilled in the Bible, 
he likely could have had prophecies that didn't get back to the Jewish nation and that were about a king that would be born and there would be a star that would signify it. But these wise men seemed to be watching for something and then they noticed it when it arrived. And so they come to Jerusalem and they ask basically about this king. That's the reason they're even in the town. And Herod asks his wise men and says, where is this king supposed to be born? What is their answer? And they said unto him, in Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet. And they're referring to Micah, the chapter in the Bible which defines where the Messiah is going to be born. So what, what I'm laying out for us here is this concept, a Messiah is coming. Now, if you're a good Jew, do you believe that or not? Where, where does your confidence lie? Does your confidence lie in the fact that Israel's going to have to save itself? How in the world is Israel going to make it? What is our great hope if we're a Jew? It's that there is a Messiah coming. Now, if there is a Messiah coming and you happen to believe it, where is this Messiah coming to? Where is he going to be born? He's going to be born in Bethlehem. Now, this is just a random thought. But if you happen to be a Jew and you know that the Messiah is going to be born in Bethlehem, wouldn't you be watchful in Bethlehem? Wouldn't it cause you to be a little awakened to the fact that, hey, you know that it's this town in which the Messiah is going to be born? Hey, guys, did you know that we're visiting today? You know, there should be like a little, uh, what do you call those, gift shop, you know, where you can get something. I've visited Bethlehem, the place where the Messiah will be born. This is literally where the Messiah is going to be born. Everyone should know that. We should be expecting something is going to happen here in Bethlehem. The Highness of God. Now, we're going to switch orientations just for a second and we're going to get back to Bethlehem okay but the highness of God I want us to meditate upon the absolute grandeur of this God now we know that he was born in Bethlehem but do we know who was born in Bethlehem do we know the significance of the fact that this God took on human form the highness of God a meditation on his knowledge and understanding as it says in Psalm 147.5, my God's understanding is mispar, which means incalculable, infinite, and beyond measure. Okay, so just compare yourself with that scripture. You know, some of you think you're pretty smart. It says of our God that our God's understanding is mispar, which means it's incalculable, infinite, and beyond measure. He knows the things that come into my mind, every one of them. Neither is there any creature that is not manifest in his sight, but all things are naked and open under the eyes of him with whom I have to do. He knows and proclaims the end from the beginning and from ancient times the things that are not yet done, saying, My counsel shall stand and I will do all my pleasure. When he calls for me to gird up my loins like a man and demands me to answer, when he asks me where was I when he laid the foundations of the earth, when he commands me to lay bare my full understanding, I, like Job, am left speechless." For I do not know what he knows. I do not see what he sees. My God has entered the springs of the sea and has trolled their depths. The gates of death have been opened unto him. And he has seen the doors of the shadow of death. He has entered into the treasure of the snow, has seen the treasures of the hail, which he has reserved against the time of trouble, against the day of battle and war. 
When the kings of the earth inquire and ask, art thou able to make known unto me the dream which I have seen and the interpretation thereof? Our God Jehovah is not like other gods who are impotent and wholly unable to reveal and then interpret the secret dreams of kings. But rather he is a God that revealeth secrets and maketh known what shall be in the latter days. He is able to declare future events before they come to pass and declare the former things that have already passed with perfect understanding. Our God knoweth all things. So ask me what my God knows and I will answer. My God knows everything. His understanding is infinite. Every word spoken, every word left unspoken, every thought, every dream, every sign, wonder, every inclination of the heart. He knows my down sitting and my uprising. He understands my thoughts afar off. He compasses my path and my lying down and is acquainted with all my ways. For there is not a word in my tongue, but lo, my Lord knows it altogether. My God knows the intimate movement of the smallest cell in the remotest part of the universe. He can see the entirety of the heavens and knows the moment-by-moment experience of every living creature. He knows every probability, every course of action, every microscopic push of every microscopic atom that is necessary to accomplish his every errand of glory. He knows everything the enemy devises, every trap laid at the feet of his saints, every fiery arrow prior prior to it even being pulled from its quiver. He knoweth what is in the darkness." My God has never taken off guard. He is fully aware and fully knowledgeable of every secret counsel of darkness and every conspiracy to undermine the purpose of his cross. He knows all that can happen, all that may happen, all that certainly must happen, and all that will happen. There is no blindness in his gaze, no shadow in his wisdom, no cloud in his understanding, for he is the light, the true light, a great light, the light of the world. So that's one meditation. What does our God know? What is his comprehension? What should immediately begin to happen is we begin to elevate our notions of God and we demote our notions of ourselves. We may think ourselves quite wise and smart, but in actuality, he knows all. We, in comparison with what is to be known, know nothing. Nothing. So, what starts in this message, I started out with Bethlehem. And I say, this Messiah, this one that is to come, will be born there. But then let's go back and say, who is this one that will be born? This one that will be born, he's from everlasting. He is God with us, Emmanuel. Well, who is God? Just to ponder this is astounding. The highness of God, a meditation on his power, authority, and preeminence. My God has measured the waters of this earth in the hollow of his hand, meted out heaven with a span, comprehended the dust of the earth in a measure, weighed the mountains and scales and the hills in a balance. To him the nations are as a drop in a bucket and are counted as a small dust of the balance. When he heads off to war, there are none that can stay his hand. He sits his king between the mighty cherubim, above all, over all, and in control of all, the creator of the heavens and the earth, God of all the kingdoms of this earth. He can bind the sweet influences of Pleiades and loose the bands of Orion. He can set the dominion of his ordinances in the earth. He can send forth lightning, number the clouds, and stay the bottles of heaven. He is the mighty God, the everlasting God, over all God blessed forever, the God of the whole earth, and his throne is forever and ever. He is the Almighty, which is and which was and which is to come, the creator of all things, the upholder of all things, the father of eternity, the beginning and the ending, the alpha and the omega, the first and the last. He is the rock of ages, the head of every man, the head of all principality and power, Lord of lords, Lord both of the dead and the living, Lord of all, Lord over all. He is the prince of princes, the prince of the kings of the earth, he that filleth all in all, the king of kings, the righteous judge, the king of saints, king of nations, king over all the earth, the king of glory, crowned with many crowns, he that sitteth king forever. 
And before him all the inhabitants of the earth are reputed as nothing. And he doeth according to his will in the army of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. And none can stay his hand or say unto him, What doest thou? Before the mountains were brought forth or ever he had formed the earth and the world, even from everlasting to everlasting, he was God. When the kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against him, he shall laugh and shall hold them in derision. He is bound by nothing but by his own nature and his own law. He is not limited in power nor governed in action by the will or the pleasure of any angel, demon, or man. But rather he is limited and governed only by the dictums and restraints of his loving prerogative to gain for himself a peculiar people, to establish his kingdom in this earth and to shed abroad his glory unto the heathen. And in the not-so-distant future when he will return to bring terrible judgment to nations and his feet shall touch down on Mount Olivet and see it divide asunder, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that he is Lord. All will behold the Ancient of Days, whose eyes are as a flame of fire, whose voice is as the sound of many waters, and whose countenance is as the sun shining in all its strength. They will see the fiery stream issuing forth from before him, the thousand thousands ministering unto him, and the ten thousand times ten thousand that stand before him at the judgment. And all will behold the one at whose feet all crowns will be cast, for he is worthy to receive glory and honor and power, for he has created all things, and for his pleasure they are and were created." So in concert with the noble King David, I pronounce, Thine, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty for all that is in the heaven and in the earth is thine. Thine is the kingdom, O Lord, and thou art exalted as head above all. Big God, little us. When we begin to comprehend that God, in his divine schematic, decided that he would don human skin, and come to this earth, do we recognize this is just a small taste of the grandeur of this God? We can hardly even comprehend if God didn't even give us the words in the scripture to help give clothing and flesh to even understand him. Do you know that if we do not have the revelation of God, we have no comprehension if we do not have the Spirit of God to actually enable us to even wield the Word of God in our understanding to comprehend it even the slightest bit who this grand and almighty God is, we have no ability. It strikes us dumb. This is almighty God. And for whatever reason, he said, I'm coming. I'm coming to this earth. When God comes to the earth, you know what? It should at least alert us. It should open us up to begin to ponder, how should I respond? If you knew that great Aunt Martha was coming over for Christmas, did you know that you would at least set things in order for great Aunt Martha? You may not even want great Aunt Martha to show up, but she's coming. And so guess what? You prepare the guest room. You even lay out towels. You clean the sheets. That's for someone you may not even want to come. How about when the king of all kings, the almighty, the one who created the heavens and the earth says, I'm coming. What should we do about it? Well, you know what? Changing the sheets, setting out some towels seems at least a reasonable start. Here's the interesting thing. The Jews knew that he was not just coming. They knew where he was coming. What is shocking about this story that we have grown up knowing is that they were ill-prepared to receive the king. 
They didn't have room for him. When he showed up, if that is not a rebuke to us, God has promised. The same way he promised Israel that he was coming. Do you know that he's made promises to us? However, how are we responding to those promises? Are we booting everyone else out of the inn and saying, he's come, he's arrived. This inn was built for one purpose. I can almost imagine that the man who built this inn, this classic inn in Bethlehem, can't you imagine the original intent? Hey, God's going to be born here. And so as a result, I want to make room for him. I want to build an establishment that could house the king. I want to do whatever I need to do. He sells all and he builds an inn dedicated to the king. But then generations pass, handed down, and they lose the vision of what this was really all about. And when the king finally shows up, there's no room for him. The great condescension, the highness of God entering the stable of manhood. Now, I was having a discussion with Judah Kofer the other day, and he was saying uh, that it never actually says that Jesus was in a stable. Uh, it's just that they didn't have room for him in the inn, and he was laid in a manger. Well, mangers are feeding troughs, and so as a result, we come to some conclusions. However, he could have been left out on the street. There's feeding troughs out there as well. No matter which one it is, a stable at least helps us wrap our mind around the fact that there was some walls around it. So whatever way we end up looking at this, there was no room in the inn. That's one thing we can be certain of. And so the highness of God entering the stable of manhood. There is a place that the Messiah was meant to be welcomed. It's called the Jewish nation, the Hebrew culture. It was built to house and to receive. They were the ones entrusted to be watchmen to say, he's coming and he's coming right here. Who's ready to receive him? There's an inn. I mean, it's perfect. Everything is set up. And they don't have room for him. And so, as strange as this is, Jesus is born in a place that is unexpected. And we could say it this way. The stable. Or, brace yourselves, the Gentiles. You see, the Hebrew nation wasn't prepared and they didn't receive And as a result, there was someone else that ended up participating. The stable, the one that was unclean, the one that was not fit at all for the king of kings. We're selected. So that's just a little foreshadow of where we're going in this. But the great condescension, the highness of God entering the stable of manhood. Luke chapter 1. And the angel said unto her, Fear not, Mary, for thou hast found favor with God, and behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb and bring forth a son. And shall call his name Jesus. He shall be great. And shall be called the son of the highest. And the Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father David. And he shall reign over the house of Jacob forever. And his kingdom, and of his kingdom, there shall be no end. Then said Mary unto the angel, How shall this be, seeing I know not a man? And the angel answered and said unto her, The Holy Ghost shall come upon thee, and the power of the highest shall overshadow thee. Therefore also that holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. This scene, for most of us, is limited to being a historical event. That Mary was the mother of the Christ child, and how beautiful it was, and there was a little halo over her head the entire time. And what we fail to oftentimes recognize 
is that this is a pattern that is being set forth. That the supernatural life of Jesus Christ is meant to come forth into this earth. And God has chosen the vehicle of a willing body to house it. And if anyone is willing to be as Mary, the Holy Spirit, the same Holy Spirit that conceived in Mary, will conceive a life within us. And it will not be a physical life as we see in Mary's womb, but it will be a spiritual life. It's called the Holy Spirit living within us. And what comes out of us? What do we give rise to? What is the fruit that we bear? It's the fruit that Mary showed. Jesus. Jesus came out of Mary. And Jesus, the fruit of Jesus, comes out of us. This is the symbol, not just of the birth in Bethlehem. This is a symbol of the new birth in us as Christians. You must be born again. And when you are born again, there is a new life that begins to come forth out of you. Before it was bad fruit. Everything that was distasteful. Everything that was ugly. And now, suddenly, it is everything that is Jesus that begins to come forth. Sparganao. That's a tough word. It means to wrap in swaddling clothes. Isn't that interesting that there's actually a word in the Greek for wrapping something in swaddling clothes? Omnipotence wrapped in weakness. The king of kings has arrived. And as we know the story fairly well, there's no room in the inn. And so it says that Jesus was sparganao and laid in a manger. This omnipotence, this mispar, this infinite understanding, this grand sovereign almightiness is limited to a little girl's womb. He became a fetus, grows up within her, and when it's time to make his debut, when it's time for him to step out onto the red carpet of the creation that he has made, He made it. And now he's arrived in it. The long-awaited, triumphal arrival of the king of kings. How does he come forth? He comes forth as a baby? It's one of the most backwards notions any of us could ever conceive. We're just so used to it that we've accepted it. However, omnipotence, almightiness, sovereignty, holiness, perfect purity has condescended to come forth and arrive on the scene as a baby, but not just as a baby, as one who is rejected. His first statement before he's coming out is basically, there's no room for you here. Well, didn't God create all of this? That inn has no business even standing if it defies the living God. It'll turn to dust just at his glance. How dare you defy the arrival of the king of kings? And yet, he arrives and allows his parents even to be turned away because something is being stated about this king. There are dimensions about this king's nature that could only be revealed in and and through the way that he came, in and through the way he suffered. See, so many of us would have notions of God as being just the the dictator, the one who is after his agenda. Whatever his agenda is, he will just accomplish it, no matter what it costs everyone around him. However, this God that we serve humbled himself 
and took on the lowest position so that he could love us, so that he could serve us, so that he could show mercy to us, though we do not deserve it. Because you may not have lived 2,000 years ago, and of course we could say, well, if I was the innkeeper, by golly, I would have made room. Yet how many years in your life have you been the innkeeper? And how many times in your life have you turned away the knocking of the Holy Spirit in your life? So before we come to our grand conclusions of how we would have behaved, let us remember how we have behaved. And let us remember that Jesus was kept outside in the cold, and he was laid in a manger, wrapped in weakness for our sake and because of us. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord, and this shall be a sign unto you. So the angels come. This is, this is the arrival of the king. He has arrived. He has come. This is the sign unto you that he'll be walking in an ermine coat down a red carpet. No, you shall find the babe wrapped. You shall find the babe. He will be a baby. (laughs) That's just astounding. And he'll be wrapped in swaddling clothes. He'll be wrapped in strips of cloth. You know, there's not room for him in the end, so you're going to find him lying in a feeding trough. How will you know the king? Well, he'll be a baby wrapped in peasant's garb lying in a feeding trough. That will be the sign to you. Is that the sign to us? Do we recognize that our king came just as he promised to come? He always fulfills his promises. And when he came, he gave us a sign that we would recognize him. We're oftentimes looking for the triumphal procession. We're looking. It's like, God, if you were who you say you are, then you would just dash to pieces your enemies. You'd blow upon the inn and it would just crumple to dust. Instead, no, no, that's not the sign. The sign will be to you that the inn that rejected him will be a pile of dust. That wasn't the sign. The sign was you will find him a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a feeding trough. That's how you will know. The king of kings is now living amongst you. Dekomai. We have, I know I've been giving you quite a few words in this one. This one, at least it's easier to say. Dekomai. This is a very, very interesting word in the New Testament. And of course you can see the, the definition. To take with the hand, to take hold of, to grant access to a visitor, to not refuse friendship, to not reject it's very important that we do not reject the king when he comes. I mean, just, I think all of us know this at a basic level, but when Jesus comes unto our life and knocks, and he is seeking room in the inn, it is very important that we do not turn him out. We may not be the inn, we may be more like the stable. However, when the king who was rejected in the inn comes under the stable, remember who this God is? Omnipotence, almightiness, all holiness, holy, holy, holiness, comes and for whatever reason condescends to say, yeah, you know that stable of yours? Yeah. <clears throat> Do you mind if I come in and make it my home? Now, 
How brazen do we have to be to say, no, I'm too good to have the king of all kings be born inside of me. I'm not going to give up my rights of foul-smelling dung piles in my stable. This is my life. And we turn out all that would make it right, all that would make it pure, all that would shine light into the dark cell that we live in. Dekomai. This is very important. This is the concept of reaching out when someone else is saying, can I come in? There's a knock. And Dekomai is receiving a visitor. It's receiving. It's answering that knock. It's opening up your life and yielding to the incoming visitor. And so this word is used in such a unique way in the New Testament to indicate how we must respond to Jesus. We know that we must believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ to be saved. Most of us have got that down. We may not fully understand what it means to believe, but we at least know that we're supposed to believe. Well, part of belief is this exact concept. It's not just knowing that Jesus is outside knocking and someone says, did Jesus knock on your home and does he want in? Oh, yes, true. That doesn't mean you let him in. You must decomai. You must open up the door and allow him in, which, you know what this could mean? If there's no room in your inn, practically, why? It's because you have all sorts of other people from this world that are stashed away in its rooms. What do you need to do? You need to kick people out. So to allow in, to decamai the arrival of Mary Joseph and the unborn king, what does this mean? Hey guys, wake up. Wake up. This room doesn't belong to you anymore. But I paid for it. Out. Out all of you. All of you get out. This inn was built to house the king when he came and he's come. Out all of you. Anyone that wants to take up residence in your inn, in your stable, when the king comes a-knocking, do you have your priorities right? Are you ready to remove all that would take up space in your inn and keep him out? So, decomai, to take with the hand, to take hold of, to grant access to a visitor, to not refuse friendship, to not reject. Kink, kink. Jesus is knocking. That's the whole principle of the gospel. The whole principle of what we see in Bethlehem is the knocking king. He's here. He came in weakness, and it's shocking to us. We don't recognize it. But have we truly been prepared to receive that king? Suffer the little children to come unto me, and forbid them not, for of such is the kingdom of God. Verily I say unto you, whosoever shall not receive the kingdom of God as a little child he shall not enter therein. That's the word decomai. If you do not receive as the way a little child would, to allow in, to receive unto you, the same way Jesus was saying, let me receive the little children. He's decomine the little children. He's receiving them. They're free to come under him. But if you do not receive the kingdom of God as a little child, then you shall not enter therein. Matthew 10. He that receiveth me he that decomize me, decomize him that sent me. In other words, when you receive Jesus, do you know that you're receiving the one who sent Jesus, the Father? By receiving Jesus, you get the whole package. You receive and you decomize, you allow in. You're just allowing in Jesus. But who comes with Jesus? The whole kit and caboodle of the Trinity. Everything about God, the divine fullness, is in Christ. And so when we receive Christ, we're receiving the Godhead. We're receiving God. We're decomine. 
I'm making up the word dekomain. That's, that's actually, I don't know if that's actually a Greek way of saying it. That's our American translation. Okay, now, sorry to introduce you to yet another word. These are big words I know. But this one's going to be fairly easy if you learned dekomai. Okay, look at this. Prosdekomai. See, now that's not that hard. Okay? Now, what's interesting is these words are obviously somehow connected. Both of these words are critical in your understanding of how you relate to Jesus Christ. This means to anticipate the long-awaited arrival of a friend, to stand at the window and watch for the promised coming, to be expectant of the arrival, to open up your house to a promised coming of a guest, to prepare a house for the soon arrival of a royal guest. Prosdekomai. I remember my parents went out. I don't remember if I knew exactly what they were going out if they had a surprise. If they were going to go out and buy something. I don't remember what, how much I knew, but I remember the expectancy I had. And all night long, I sat at the window of, of this house that we lived in down in South Denver. And I stared down the street expecting lights to come around the corner at any point in time. All night long, I stayed there. I wouldn't leave. I think that was the first night I ever was given coffee to drink. I didn't like it, but I still don't. But I remember sipping at some coffee that night too. This is stuck in my memory. I remember being expectant. My parents promised. They had a surprise. And I knew there was only one way to the house. And they had to turn around. They had to come down that road in the car. And I still remember that night. I mean, I, it's, I was young too. I remember seeing the lights come around. It's like, they're coming! They're coming! And it was a huge motorhome. My parents had bought a motorhome. That was the surprise which then didn't work because of the covenants in the neighborhood and they had to return it. But <laughs> but I remember the excitement. You see, I decomied and I reached out and I was ready to receive, but why? Why was I ready to receive? This is very important. Because I pros decomied. I was watchful and I was observant. I knew that they were coming. So it wasn't that I received them when they came. To receive when they came, I had to be awake and watchful to recognize when they came. You see, what happened in Bethlehem is there was no prosdecomai. They stopped watching. They stopped observing. Thus, they stopped believing he was coming. They weren't looking out for it. Wait a minute. There's a pregnant woman. Hey, pregnant woman, uh, uh, Bethlehem pregnant woman. Hey, this should immediately start everyone up and say, hey, this could be it. There's a constant watchfulness. It's like someone's coming around the corner and like, hey, I think this is it. Oh, they turned into a driveway. You keep watching because you know the promise. My parents promised they were coming in that night. Well, guess what? The Messiah promised. He said, I'm coming. And when I come, I'm coming to Bethlehem. I will be born of a virgin. How all this works, not every Jew could have that figured out. However, they could be prosdecomai. They could be eyes wide open. You know, it's like the concept of having a guest room already established. Or having that extra seat at the table, knowing that the Messiah could come at any time. And someone could say, who's that seat for? Well, it's for the Messiah. If he happens to come right now, he has a spot to sit. And so you live, prosdecomai, you live already ready. You live already with a predetermined, yes, come in. You live with a predetermined, yes, I'll kick them all out. If you come, you get this place. It already belongs to you. You've already deeded it over even before he arrives. The king is coming. 
If the king is coming, you prosdekomai, you watch, you stay alert. Let's read through these again. To anticipate the long-awaited arrival of a friend. To stand at the window and watch for the promise coming. To be expectant of the arrival. To open up your house to a promise coming of a guest. To prepare a house for the soon arrival of a royal guest. Could you imagine the inn in Bethlehem? Hey, get out, get out, ever, ever, all of you. Well, there's no one here. The king hasn't even come yet. Yeah, well, if all of you were sitting around in these rooms, there's not going to be any space for him when he does come. This inn was built by God for the purpose of God. And by golly, it's going to be available. If he chooses to be born somewhere else, that's his business. But I'm going to make this place fully available to the arrival of the king. Prosdecomai. It's like the Prosdecomai Inn. It's the previously prepared inn that is ready to receive. Pentecost is the coming, is the pouring out of the Spirit. But what were all those days leading up to Pentecost? It was Prosdecomai. It was the Prosdecomai Inn to say, God, this place, this body is already established for you. It is built for you to inhabit. If the king is coming forth, but this time as a spirit, then here, he can be born here. So translation of prosdecomai. To build an inn in Bethlehem, expectantly watching day and night for a pregnant girl, expectant with the promised king of kings. He's coming, and I for one am going to prosdecomai, so that when he arrives, I will decomai him. I'm going to prosdecomai, so that when he does come, I can receive him. What shocks many of us is that the Jews didn't decomai Jesus. But that's because they stopped prosdecomaiing. Those that prosdecomaiid, sorry to add my English uh, vernacular to the Greek, but those that prosdecomaiid, the arrival of the Messiah, do you know that they recognized him and they received him? Well, I have a story. Luke 2. When eight days were accomplished for the circumcision of the child, his name was called Jesus, which was so named of the angel before he was conceived in the womb. And when the days of her purification, according to the law of Moses, were accomplished, which is 40 days for a male child, so this would have been the 41st day, the number of new beginnings. Eight is the number of new beginnings. 41 is the number of new beginnings. So it's after the days of uh, purification, according to the law, were completed. They brought him... Jesus, to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male that opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice according to that which is said in the law of the Lord. A pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Now listen to this. And behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And the same man was just and devout. What is this man doing? He's just and devout. It says that he's waiting for the consolation of Israel. What do you think the word waiting translates into? Prosdecomai. He was standing at the window watching. As a result, watch the effect. You see, we look at the Jews and we say, they missed it. How did they miss it? Not all of them. Those that were prosdecomai saw it. Listen to this. This is profound. He is prosdecomai for the consolation of Israel, for the Messiah to come. And the Holy Ghost was upon him. And it was revealed unto him by the Holy Ghost that he should not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came by the Spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him after the custom of the law. So you have 
Mary and Joseph, who probably didn't look that spectacular, and a little baby. However, what is this man doing? He's prosdecomine, baby. Baby. He's watching. And in this situation, he goes, baby. This is the baby. Then he took him up in his arms. You know what that translates into? He decomined him. He prosdecomined, and then what did he do when he saw him? He received him up into his arms. If that's not a picture, I don't know what is. And blessed God and said, Lord, now let thou thy servant depart in peace according to thy word. For mine eyes have seen thy salvation, which thou hast prepared before the face of all people. A light to lighten the Gentiles and the glory of thy people Israel. This is he. Omnipotence has clothed himself in a baby. And I, for one, receive this baby. As odd as this scene would be to any Jew to say, king of kings? Omnipotence? Holy, holy, holiness? This is God. He has chosen his way. And I recognize his way. Why? Because I've been prosdecomine. I've been watching. I've been studying. I've been looking. I've already prepared the room. I'm ready to receive. Are we ready to receive? Do we hold to the promises of Scripture and expect that they must come? Or have we given up our prosdecomine and we assume that we'll decomine, we'll receive it when it comes, but meanwhile, it's time for a little fold of the hands, a little slumber. This is the hour to be watchful. Our God is ready to move in this generation. But most of us are not prosdecomine. And as a result, it's highly likely he will not use us to do it. But I say, let us be as Simeon. Let us be moved by the Spirit of God to be watchful, to be ever alert, and to be monitoring every situation. God, 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 to be expectant. Or, as I think I name this message, expecting. Always expecting. Mary's expecting, but are we expecting the expecting woman? Are we expecting? Are we expecting to see the king come forth? Do we actually believe the word of God anymore? That when he says it, he cannot lie. God promised he would come to Bethlehem. That he would be born of a virgin. He promised it. And he was. He always fulfills his word. But are we prosdecomine, believing his word, saying, no, he's coming, and everyone could mock us and say, Eric, get away from the window. Get away from the window. It's been too long. Why don't you just go to sleep tonight? They are coming. Do we have that growl within our soul to say, I, for one, believe the promise, and I will not budge from my position at the window. I am watchful, and I'm looking out. My God is sure to come. Emptying the inn. The word for inn is cataluma. Just a quick assessment. If Jesus came and knocked and said, I need the whole kit and caboodle today. I need the whole inn. The whole thing. Why was it built in the first place? Let's remember back. Now, we, we don't know the history. Someone needs to write a little children's book about it, about how that inn was originally built for the Messiah, but they stopped watching for the Messiah. However, we don't have no proof of that. That's just a nice little twist to the story to make a point. However, why were we built? We were built to house the glory of Almighty God. 
We know that. So that's why I can make a link between the inn back then and the inn here. Because we are a guest chamber. We are. That's what an inn is. The translation would be guest chamber. We are a chamber where guests can stay. We are a guest quarters. We know that someone has required entry. We know that we were built to house someone. It sounds strange because we live here. Yeah, but a guest chamber doesn't necessarily mean you don't live there anymore. In other words, you're out on the streets. You're looking at your body from the outside going, whoa, who has my body? And your body's like walking around. You're not booted out of your body, but you have made space to say my body does not belong to me. It actually belongs to someone much greater than me. This body was built to be the house of God. And I choose this day to Decomai and receive him when he comes. And as a result, since I know he's coming, I'm going to pros Decomai and watch for his coming. That I will be ready. The sheets will be pressed. The towels will be hanging and ready. Always that there will be an extra spot at the table. Always expectant. The Messiah is coming. Everyone can mock you. But you say, it is promised. He will come, and he will be born in Bethlehem. Cataluma. And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger. Why? Because there was no room for them in the Cataluma. There was no room for them in the house that was built to be the guest chamber. It was built for that. That's what the inn is. It is built to house transients, travelers, guests, royal or otherwise. That's even why it was built in Bethlehem of all places, the place where the ultimate guest is about to arrive. And there was no room? How horrifying is that? Well, let it not be said of us that there was no room in the inn. Cataluma is used twice in the New Testament. Look at the other time it's used. This is Jesus, and you shall say unto the goodman of the house, that's the innkeeper, the master saith unto thee, where is the Cataluma? Where is the guest chamber? So this is what Jesus says to his disciples because they're preparing something known as the Passover meal. And he needs the guest chamber in which to do it. The guest chamber. Remember the guest chamber that refused him originally? It's like now we have another guest chamber. And this one, it says... The master saith unto thee, where is the guest chamber where I shall eat the Passover with my disciples? There's a guest chamber, and I intend to do something in that guest chamber. And so tell them that the master says. And so imagine that we are the house, and we get this word. The disciples come up to us and say, the master says. Well, what do we say? Because we're prosdecomine. The master has asked for use of my house at any time. And so we're watchful. We're prosdecomine. And then when the disciples come and they say, the master asks for the house, the guest chamber, what do we say? It's his. Here are the keys. It's all reserved for you. I didn't know when you would come, but thank you for coming and thank you for humbling me, condescending to use this for the sacred meal, for the Passover. The Passover. The remembrance of the cross. The work of grace. Why did he even come for the Passover? To be the lamb that was slain. And how does, where does he want to celebrate that? Where does he want to remember that? But in the inn, in the Cataluma, in the guest chamber. But is that guest chamber ready for the master? Are you ready to celebrate within this body the great work of the cross? 
Are you prosdecomine? The master came up to you one day and said, I need that house. It belongs to me. And you say, whenever you have need of it. And then he disappears for a whole season of your life. But then you say, He's, he needs my house. He asked for it. My house is his. And you watch and you wait at the window. And then one day it comes. The master has need. Absolutely. Have you changed the purpose of your inn in the meantime? Have you begun to realize, I could make some good money off this inn? I mean, just to have it sit around and house a whole bunch of people passing through town, uh, you know, to miss all those people and not capitalize financially, that's a waste of money, waste of time. I'm not just going to prosdeco my for the king. I could make money and then I could always tithe off of that money to the king when he comes. However, what happens is our motives get shifted. From being an inn that was built to house the ultimate guest arriving in Bethlehem, we become subverted by the notions of other things, other comforts. And when the king finally does come, guess what? We don't decomine him because we stopped prosdecomine. Mark 14. Now, in context, this is going to be a statement of the gospel or a story that's meant to be shared every time the gospel is shared. But look at what it means in light of what we're talking about. When the king comes, what is the rightful response of Mary of Bethany? What does she do that is so impressive? And what Jesus says, this is what story needs to be shared when the gospel is shared. Why? Because it's the gospel. It's the response to the gospel. It is the outflow of prosdecomine. When you see your king, you'll go into your pantry... I mean, if it truly is the king of kings, you'll go into your pantry, take your most valuable possessions, come to his feet, and break them. Pour them out on him. Your inn does not belong to you. It belongs to the king. So when the king is coming, believe me, you do not find some excuse to have it for a different purpose. What is that spike nard even there for? It belongs to the king. And the king has come. Pour it out. Anything you'd put trust in, anything you would turn to outside of that king, this is the whole reason the inn is built. Clear out the inn. Take your spikenard off the shelf worth a year's wages. Break it open on Jesus Christ. And being in Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, as he sat at meat or eating, there came a woman having an alabaster box of ointment of spikenard, very precious. And she broke the box and poured it on his head. And there were some that had indignation within themselves. And they'll have indignation in in themselves when they see you do it as well. When they see you having an inn in Bethlehem that has no visitors in it because it's all reserved for Jesus Christ, they'll have indignation. I mean, come on, what a waste. You could make good money off of that thing. Yeah, it's reserved for the king. I always want it to be completely open and available for when the king comes. But what a waste. They'll have indignation within themselves. And said, why was this waste of the ointment made? For it might have been sold for more than 300 pence and have been given to the poor. And they murmured against her. And Jesus said, let her alone. Why trouble you her? She has wrought a good work on me. For you have the poor with you always. And whensoever you will, you may do them good. But me, you have not always. She has done what she could. She has come aforehand to anoint my body to the bearing. Verily I say unto you, wheresoever this gospel shall be preached throughout the whole world, this also that she hath done shall be spoken of for a memorial of her. And Judas Iscariot, one of the twelve, went unto the chief priest to betray him unto them. 
What do you have in your pantry? Do you recognize that the king of kings has condescended to come and make his life available to you? And he's asking for the inn. He's asking for the guest chamber. The master requires it. Does that mean anything to us? Are we willing to say, if the master requires it, have at it. Here are the keys. But that's Christianity. Christianity is handing over the keys of this inn. Not just allowing them in, but saying the inn belongs to you. This is what it was built for. You actually own it. I'll be your butler here in the inn. People can say, it's your body. You could do with it whatever you want. It's your life. No, it isn't. It was bought with a price. That's what the blood of Jesus is all about. I was a man lost in the morass of sin under the just penalty of the law of sin and death, meaning I sinned, therefore I die. And my death is not just a mere, you know, dying of old age someday and then disappearing into nothingness. It is a death which means eternal separation from the Most High God. And the just penalty for my sin is eternal hellfire. Not small things to recognize that Jesus interposed his precious blood on my behalf and rescued me. And in the process purchased all that I was. It's called redemption. He purchased me. And he says, this inn has been saved from the wrath to come And it is also now under the banner of Jehovah's property. This belongs to God Almighty, legally. My body belongs to Jehovah. Whether I recognize that or not, I could even turn him out. And guess what? It still belongs to him. And so may the living God Almighty, who has condescended to be born as a baby, wrapped in swaddling cloths, and laid in a feeding trough, may that Almighty God have access into our life. May he be able to access and have that which he purchased with his blood. Receiving the king. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. Isn't that an amazing statement considering what we're talking about today? Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come into him. And I will sup with him and he with me. Listen to Paul. What? Know you not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost? Is the inn of God? Is the house in which God intends to dwell and be born? Didn't anyone ever tell you this? What? Paul's always saying, what? With a big question mark. What? You didn't hear this? This is everything. You don't miss this. What? Know you not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which you have of God, and you are not your own? For you are bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your inn. Glorify God in this body. And in your spirit, which are God's. God's means possessive. God, apostrophe S, belongs to God. Didn't you know this? Didn't anyone ever tell you this? What? Weren't you ever told that your inn was built by God for God? And... I'm not just saying that someday God will knock. Someday God will come. I'm saying he already has, and now it's a present tense thing. God is knocking. He has come unto your inn, and he's saying, kink, kink. Um, You sort of heard the message today, Eric. Uh, This inn belongs to me. This is where I intend to be born again, to be born in you afresh in this earth. And that the life that grows up in you would be the life of the Son of God. The same life that came knocking on that in 2,000 years ago. 
but they didn't decomai, they didn't receive. Will you receive? You know how many promises there are in Scripture? I wish I could tie this in with about three or four of my other messages and just give some of the key critical promises of Scripture and just say, are you standing at the window and watching? Because God promised, and he cannot lie. Our God is coming. First, hand over the inn, but begin to live with a prosdecomai attitude, an expectancy. Our God cannot fail us. Our God cannot lie. Our God has promised, and he is faithful and able to perform that which he promised. That's what faith is. Faith is having an assurance in his character, in his quality. He is who he is, and he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. He is a rewarder to those who prosdecomai, who stand at the window and watch, who prepare the room and say, this belongs to him. And when he comes, he will have at it whatever he wants. The fatted calf is already his in his name. It all goes. It all belongs to him. Have you seen the pearl of great price? Have you seen the treasure hidden in the field? Because when you do, you sell all to purchase it. Have you beheld the king of glory? Have you beheld his majesty? Have you beheld his true beauty? Because if you do, you go to your pantry and find your spikenard. Have you beheld the condescension of the high and holy, holy, holy one? Because if you have, you unlock the door of your inn. You boot out anyone who has taken up space in it and you say, Mary Joseph, come on in. Anything that is ready to deliver the goods of the life of God unto your soul, you say, have at it. This belongs to you. It is yours 100% bought with the price of Christ's blood. Thank you so much for listening to this message by Pastor Eric Ludy, pastor at the Church at Ellerslie in Windsor, Colorado. Please feel free to make copies of this message, but do not charge for these copies or alter their content in any way without express written permission. If you have any questions, comments, or just need more information about Ellerslie, please visit our website at www.ellerslie.com. Again, that website is www.ellerslie.com. For Ellerslie Mission Society, this is Ben Zorns, cheering you on as Christ cultivates His set-apart life within you.